me share with you a, a universal truth. This is what I, I believe is a universal truth, that everybody wants to be connected to a group, right? That everybody wants to belong. I, I think that's a universal truth for all of us. This isn't just a, it's not just a me thing. This isn't just a, a Christian thing. But everybody who is on the planet all want to be connected. Well, let me ask you a question. Here, here's the question. Have you ever done something stupid just to, to get people to like you, right? Have you ever done something foolish to be accepted by someone? Show of hands. Come on now. Uh, don't leave me up here alone. How many of you have done something just to be accepted by someone? That's what, now, I want you to turn and share that with everyone. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to, you don't have to do that, right? But we, we've all done that. Uh, I worked with a guy at a, at a church. His name was Mike. And, uh, and Mike, when he was in grade school, Mike was in a gang. And, uh, and I'm serious about this. He was in a gang. The gang was called the Tigers. And, uh, and, and when Mike was in this gang, here's what they would do every once in a while. They would get together and they would ride their bikes in gang formation down to the, the local store and they would buy like hostess fruit pies and stuff like that. That's what they would, that's, it was a very serious gang. They were, uh, they, were, they were a fierce, fierce gang. And Mike really wanted to be a, a part of, of this gang. But to be a part of the gang, right, there was, a, there was a catch. There was something that he had to do. He had to go through initiation. He had to earn his place in, in the gang. Now, I just want to make it clear at this point that I'm not condoning gangs or initiations with that. I want to make sure we're, we're clear. But Mike really wanted to be a part of this gang. And so this gang got together and they decided, here's what your initiation is going to be, Mike. If you want to, to be one of us, you got to show how committed you are. And we want you to light a patch of your hair on fire. Now, I don't know how they came up with that, but that was, their, that was their decision. That was their initiation. Now, this was the early 80s in Southern California. And so Mike had, he had big hair, right? Like big, like surf hair, like a can and a half of aerosol hairspray to hold it in place hair. And so Mike really wanted to be in the Tigers. And so he went into the clubhouse and his buddy came up to him and, and he had a match and they had this little section that they had kind of separated that they were ready for him to show his commitment, his initiation to the gang. And when he lit that match, there was so much hairspray in Mike's hair that it just went whoosh, right? Like the human torch, like flame on, right? Like, like he just, his whole head was on fire. And Mike went running into the backyard, like beating his head, trying to put the fire out. His buddy grabbed the hose and started hosing him down. And when Mike went home that day, he looked a lot like Quasimodo, right? It was all like patchy and, and nasty and, and burnt out in spots. But here's what I want you to know. Mike's still a tiger today, right? To this day, hashtag tigers for life. Because when you're a part of something like that, you don't ever get out of being a part of it. And again, I don't want to condone gangs or initiations or lighting your hair on fire. Although some of us can rock the post-hair on fire look, it's not meant for all of us, and so you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. But here's the reality, is that everybody wants to belong. Everybody, I believe, wants to be connected. And so there are times in our lives where we have all done foolish things just so that we could fit in with others. We all have stories. Some of our stories may involve bad hair decisions. Many of us have regrets of things that we've done just so that we would be accepted by others. In this series, this series that we're in is called Greater Than. And in this series, we're talking about how to have a great life. And the reality is this, is that if you want to have a great life, to choose to have a great life means you're going to have to say no to certain things. 
You have to choose which things are greater than the other things. And in week one, Doug kind of kicked it off and, and said, it's not about being great so that we can earn a relationship with Jesus. That's not what this is about. It's because of Jesus' greatness, because of what he's done for us, that, that we can have a relationship with him through his death and through his resurrection, that our lives can be changed. And so he talked about the fact that, that in this relationship with God, that Jesus must become greater and we must become less. And then in week two, we talked about that God's will is greater than my will. That God's plans, God's ways are greater than my plans and my ways because if I'm in a relationship with Jesus, then I can trust that he wants the best for me. And I can trust that whatever those things are, that he is going to make those happen in my life. That he is in control of what's happening. Last week we talked about that serving others is greater than being served. And what Jesus said is that if you want to become great, then you need to put the needs of other people first. That when you see a need, you meet it. And this isn't something that we just do once in a while, right? And it's great to volunteer and it's great to serve, but this is a, a lifestyle thing that we commit to. But I want you to see in this series, there's a little bit of progression that's happening here. That it starts with our relationship with God. And as Jesus becomes greater, then we want to follow him. We want his will for our lives. And his will always involves us putting the needs of others first, of us serving others. Which requires something and it requires others, right? It requires community in our lives. And so what we're going to talk about today is that we is greater than me. That we is greater than than me. In John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus said this, this is my commandment, love each other, and in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater, there's our word, no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, it's a very clear command from Jesus. This, this isn't an option Right? It's not a choice as to whether well, I feel like it today, so I'll love people today. It's not based on whether it's convenient for us. Any Cheesecake Factory fans in the house? Cheesecake Factory fans? Right? It takes like a week to read through the Cheesecake Factory menu. Right? Like if you're going to go to the Cheesecake Factory, you have to go after lunch, like as soon as you've eaten lunch, because it will take you a while to get through it, and by that time, you'll be hungry for dinner. But here's what I don't get about the Cheesecake Factory. Right? They serve everything. Burritos, Orange chicken, pizza, like they, they've got it all on the menu. Now, I prefer a restaurant that specializes in one or two things, right? I want them to do one or two things really, really well. I think the restaurants that do everything, it's a little shady to me. Jesus wants us to be very, very clear for us. The one thing that he wants us to do well, the one thing that matters most is love. Love is the greatest thing that we can do, that we love God and that we love others. And if you do this, and I believe that Jesus teaches this, the Bible teaches this, that everything else in your life will fall into place. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that your life will be easy. But when we love God and when we love others, everything else will begin to work itself out. But there's two keys to this verse. Here's the, the first. The greatest love is shown when you sacrifice something. See, saying I love you is nice, but showing it is what makes a difference, is what, is what impacts the life of someone else. Sacrificing something is the highest expression of love. Jesus loved us. In fact, he loved us so much that it says that he gave up his life for us, right? That Jesus gave his life for my life. And so 
we may not have to die for someone. That's not necessarily what he's commanding here. But what he's saying is that we can practice the same kind of sacrificial love every day in every relationship that we come in contact with. Through listening, through helping, through encouraging, through showing compassion, by giving our time, whatever it might be. The second key, though, to these verses is this, is that you need a friend for this kind of love. Right? You can't love by yourself. It, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. We need others if we're going to actually live this out. Now, hear this. All right? I want you to understand this clearly. We don't need to feel love toward everyone. Right? This is more than just a, a feeling of something. It's more than just a, a, a warm sensation. In fact, some people in your life are going to be incredibly difficult to love. But we are still commanded to love them. Why? Because it makes us better, right? The, the more we love those people that are difficult, the more it increases our compassion and, and our desire to love others. It's easy to love the people that are easy to love. And so sometimes God places in our lives people that are tough to love, a little bit more difficult to love, because it forces us to depend on him and to put this into practice. But see, the reality is, is that we all need to be connected if we're going to live this out. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to be connected and, and, and how do we get connected to the right group? Because we were created for relationships. Every single one of us has a desire within us for that. We are social creatures. God created us to be in a relationship with him and created us to be in a relationship with each other. And this goes all the way back to the garden. When you have Adam, even pre-Eve, just Adam and a bunch of animals on this brand new planet that God has created... And God watched Adam, and he watched his interactions, and, and he said, there's something missing. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's why God created Eve. Groups shape our identity. We know this to be true, right? The group of people that you hang around with, that eventually begins to shape your identity. If I were to come up to you and say, hey, yeah, this is a buddy of mine. This is my friend, and, and, and he's an accountant, automatically you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? You know a little bit about what accountants are, are, are kind of like. And so there's some, there's some ideas in your mind. Or if I were to say, yeah, here, here's my buddy, he's a, he's a redneck. Automatically you're thinking, oh, he probably drives a big truck, right? He likes NASCAR and he's got a lot of camo in his closet, right? Those are just some things that go along with that. If I were to say to you, hey, yeah, these are, uh, these are cat owners. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because you know what I think about that. You do. And in fact, I have proof of why I think the way I do. Check out this video. Right? That's why. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I believe what I believe about that, right? But, but you know, you know that when there's certain groups, right, there are things that we identify with those groups. Because groups of people shape our identity. When you start hanging around with someone, you start to pick up the characteristics of those people. If they like a certain type of music, you eventually begin to like that certain type of music. If they like sports or, or if they like uh, cars or, or whatever it is, you eventually begin to take on those same characteristics. I love this, this saying that if you hang out with a skunk, eventually you're going to start to smell like one. Right? And that's true in our lives. If you hang out with a certain group of people, eventually you begin to be like them. Now, the reality is that, that can go in, in a couple different directions. It can either be a positive influence or it can be a negative influence. 
If you're hanging around a group of people that are living their lives like Jesus, then eventually you're going to start smelling like a, like a, a good skunk, right? Like a, like a bath and body skunk, like, a, like a, a country apple bath and body skunk or whatever, right? You're going to have that, that good sense to you. But if you're hanging around a group of people who aren't living their lives for Jesus, well, it's, it's Pepe Le Pew, right? Like it's, it's, it's just true for all of us. It's the wrong kind of smell. Groups provide a place for us to be known And every single one of us wants to be known. We want to be known by a group of friends. The best part of having a group of friends, the best part of having a a peer group, people that you identify with, is that when you show up, you don't have to introduce yourself anymore. They know who you are. They know what you're like. They know things about you. You're known. And when you're known, that creates a, a safe place. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about a physically safe place, although it's always good to have like a, an MMA fighter in your, in your small group, right, that's got your back. That's great. But what I'm talking about is an emotional safe place, a secure group, a place where you feel cared for, where you can share honestly what's going on in your life. And being known and feeling safe and secure, it always leads to a result, and that's confidence. And we all know what that feels like to be confident. To know that there's a group of people that have my back. To know that no matter what I face in life, that I'm going to be able to get through that. That I'm going to be able to handle it. That I'm going to be able to deal with it. Now the flip side is also true. If I don't have a group of people in my life, if I'm not connected with others, if I'm trying to do things alone, then oftentimes I don't feel known by others which means that I don't feel safe, I don't feel secure, and I oftentimes, as a result, will lack confidence. And so what do these groups look like? How do we benefit from this in our lives? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And if you don't, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens, or you can download our app as well. And it has our notes in there, and uh, you can follow along. While you're turning to Romans chapter 12, let me just, uh, let me just say this. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us are, are our earthly families. They really are. At least God's intention with them was great. Our family sometimes take that gift and and they kind of shake it up and and jump on it and back over it with the car. But but God's gift, it was a great intention. The problem is, is or not the problem, but God's gift is is fragile, right? And, And it can easily be broken by things like divorce or distance or hurts or habits, disease, eventually death. And even if you're a part of of, of the greatest family ever, you know that it's only temporary. But here's the incredible part about God is he knew that. And so he gave us a family that would last for eternity. See, the moment that you join God's family through faith in his son Jesus, you're given some pretty incredible things. Automatically, you're given the family name. Automatically, there's the beginning of this family likeness that starts to happen in your life. There's all kinds of family privileges, intimacy and care and protection. The family inheritance is now equally yours. And so Paul, in in his letter to the church in Rome, he, he wants to paint a picture for us of how this family should function, what it should look like. And so Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3, says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. 
and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. See, Paul's warning us in this passage. He's warning us that what happens with inflated pride in our lives. That there is no place for pride in our family together. See, what happens is that when I focus on pride, when I have pride in my life, the focus shifts to me. And what happens then is it, is it isolates me from everybody else. Now, this is an incredibly significant, especially in light of what Paul had been teaching. And so if you were to go back, we don't have time to look at it today, but if you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, and I would encourage you to do that, you're going to see some things like this, that Paul says that the Jews aren't better than the Gentiles. And he says that the Gentiles aren't better than the Jews. He says that everyone is dependent on the mercy of God for salvation. So there's no room in our lives. There's no room in our family for things like pride or racism or elitism or judgment. So the key to the church, the key to this family is that we need to see each other as equals and that we need to continually pursue unity together. See, we're all important and we are all needed together. And so Paul gives us this new picture of what this identity looks like in this family. He says that we're like a, we're like a body, right? And each one of us has a body. Now, some of ours work better than, than others, but, but we all have a body. It all has different parts, eyes and ears and fingers, toes, blood vessels, muscles, right? All of, all of these things together. And when each part performs the way it should, when each part does what it was created to do, then we have as a result... A healthy body. See, not all of our parts were created to see or, or to hear, right? But we all have specific roles. And the church is the same. This family is the same. That we're called to work together. We're called to function together. We're all called to play a part. And when we don't, when one of us is missing, when one of us is hurting, it has an impact on everybody else. The entire body suffers as a result. And so we must be humble and we must recognize that our role in this family is a, is a partnership with each other and with Jesus. And so Paul lists in this, in this passage that we read, he lists several different gifts and different ways in which we use those gifts to help each other out. But let me give you some truths about the gifts that God has given to each of us. See, all gifts and, and abilities come from God. They're not something that you just mustered up on your own. But every believer, right, this is also true, every believer has at least one gift. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, then, then God gives you at least one gift. Not everyone has the same gift, so there isn't one gift out there that all of us share equally. That's not, that's not true, and no one has all of the gifts. Some of you think you're incredibly gifted, right? But, but no one has all of the gifts. And so we need to discover how we have been gifted by God, and we have to understand what is it that we do best. And so we use our gifts to honor God and we use our gifts to build into our relationships with each other. God gave us all gifts, 
But he didn't give us these gifts for our own success, right? He didn't give it to me for my individual joy. He didn't give it to me so that I could make my life better alone in isolation from others. God gave me the gifts that he gave me. He gave you the gifts that he gave you so that you could make us better together. To make us more successful. To bring joy into our family together. To benefit each other, which in the end ends up benefiting you. See, we weren't created to do life alone. We were created to be a part of a family, but not even just part of a family, a contributing part of a family. We need each other. We, we need you. See, the reality is this. Here's the bottom line. No one becomes great alone. You can't become great in isolation from everybody else, not, not according to God's ways. Now, at Hope, at Hope, we, we know that these relationships can, and we know that these relationships do happen in all kinds of different ways. Some of you have these relationships through the ministry that you are a part of, that you serve with on a regular basis. Some of you, it's a, a part of being in our local Hope or, or our global Hope ministries, and as a result of that, that, that you have connections with others. For some, it's maybe an intentional mentoring relationship that you're a part of. But we believe here, we believe that the best way for you to live this out is to be intentionally connected with a group of people in a small group. We are so committed to this that it actually starts in Kid City. If you're a parent and you have a, a child in Kid City right now, they are already connected to a small group. A small group of others, and they're learning this. If you have a middle school student, right now as we're in here, they're in their room, and they're already broken up into small groups. If you have a high school student, our high school ministry, in a week and a half, we're relaunching our, our fall semester. And it will start with us getting all of our students back into small groups. Our college ministry, small groups. Because we believe that that if we can help set a culture at that age, that if they can experience it and understand it, that it's going to set them up to understand how they were created and how to best be a part of the family as they grow up. See, this is something that, if it works for them, I believe will work for us. If you're a parent and you have a kid in Kid City or, or middle school ministry or high school ministry, what if you were to set the example? What if you were to model this concept by being a part of a small group yourself? See, we need to understand this, though. I, I want you to hear me clearly. Small groups are not a, it's not a program. It's not a program we do. Our small groups are the church. Because the church is a group of people that gather together, right? A, a group of people that are on mission together to make the greatness of Jesus known. And so our small groups are the church spread out all throughout the triangle, making an impact and making a difference in the lives of others. Let me give you four benefits of being a part of a small group like this. Here's the first. Small groups provide an opportunity to connect with other Christians. See, if you're here, if you're at any of our campuses this weekend, you're already part of a family. If you're a Christian, then you're a part of the church. You're a part of the family. Now, you may be here and saying, Donnie, I, I'm not sure that I am a Christian. I, I'm not sure that I, I buy into the whole Jesus, God thing. I'm, I'm still checking it out. I've got some questions. I, I'm just not sure of. Yet. Let me just say this, that we're so glad you're here. And, and I would also encourage you with this. What if you were to get connected to a small group? What if you were to go and, and, and be surrounded by some other Christians? What if you were to ask the questions that you want to ask? What if you were to learn and see what it is that, that God has done for you and what he's teaching in his word for you? 
What if you were to go into that small group and make sure that small group was actually doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, right? And keep them honest to that. So you need to be connected. You need to be connected to God and you need to be connected to others. You can come to any of our campuses and you can hide in the crowd. And, and you know what? That's okay for a while. Because for some of us, that's where we need to be. But the problem is, is that if you're sitting in a big crowd like this, you're not going to be known. And I know for some of you, you're thinking, Donnie, that's, that's actually strategic on my part. I'm not sure that I really want anybody to know me because if they knew me, if they knew what I've done, if they knew where I've been, no one would want to have anything to do with me. And I want to tell you this. I want you to hear me so clearly. You are absolutely wrong. I can guarantee you there is someone in this church who has done worse things than you. I, I promise you that, right? That's just who we are as a people. This is a church, and, and our mission statement is this, is that we love people where they are. We truly believe that. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting your act together or when you've, you're doing more good things than bad things, then you can come be a part of this. We're a church. We're a family that loves people right where they are. We have this desire to be known inside of all of us. Here's the second thing. Small groups provide an opportunity to be encouraged. An opportunity to be encouraged. It's hard to be encouraged in, in a campus, in one of our campuses on the weekend. Why? Because it's, it's like Costco in here, right? You hear Mike say this all the time. It's like six flags under Jesus. There's, a, there's lines in the parking lot. There's lines at the coffee shop. There's lines in Kid City. There's lines to get in the auditorium. We give you like 12 seconds to say hi to somebody, and then we herd you back out at the end. You're not known when you're in a crowd this big, which means if you're not known, then you're probably not being encouraged. Here's what I believe. When you go to work tomorrow or when you go to your school campus, maybe some of you, maybe you work alone or, or maybe you stay at home with the kids all day, which I believe is the, the hardest and probably most important job in the world. But for wherever you go, there's probably a, a strong chance that where you go and spend a lot of your time during the day isn't the most encouraging environment. This week I purposely listened as I walked around. I heard the language that was being used. I heard the way people were treating each other. I heard the things that people were saying about each other. And that was here in our church office this week, right? And so, I'm just kidding. I, I, but I can imagine what it's like for many of you out there. And you're probably not spending your time in an environment that's very encouraging. But this is what happens when you get connected to a small group. When you're connected with others, it gives you an opportunity to be encouraged by others. And the reality is I've never met a person that's ever said, Donnie, I, I'm getting encouraged too much, right? I need you to stop encouraging me. Too much encouragement never happens. Every single one of us needs it and wants it in our lives. Here's the third thing. Small groups provide an opportunity to grow spiritually. I said earlier that this is a church that loves people where they are, and we do, but it's also a church that wants you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The image for me, when I read this verse, right, of, of iron sharpening iron, uh, for me, I don't know, the image that always pops into my head is, is that of a, of a popsicle stick switchblade. Did anybody, anybody ever make popsicle stick switchblades when you were a kid growing up? Was it, was it just me? I grew up in the 70s. We didn't have like cool things like Nintendos and stuff. We just had sticks and, and rubber bands. That's all we had. And so you would take one of the popsicle sticks, right, and you would like rub it against the ground until you made it kind of sharp. This is kind of a dark service, right? I'm talking about gangs and, and, and shivs. I, I'm not sure 
where all this is coming from, but, but you like sharpen it, right? And then you would take these two popsicle sticks and you'd put a rubber band around it and you would like kind of fold it up and you'd let one side go and it would like snap out like a switchblade and then you would chase your sister around. That's what we did. That's what we did growing up. And that's the image that comes to mind for me is iron sharpens iron that when you're connected with a group of others, you're rubbing shoulders together. You're journeying through the tough times together. You're encouraging one another. You're studying and reading the Bible together. You're praying together. And as a result, you become sharper. You become greater together. See, you can learn from my faith. And I can learn from yours. I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. There's a lot that you can learn from my faith. But some of you may say, Donnie, I've only been a Christian for like 30 days. Guess what? There is so much that I can learn from your faith. New Christians come up regularly and they ask the, the best questions, right? And there's absolutely something that we can learn from you because, because you're so excited about the newness of this relationship with Jesus that you have. For those of us that have been a Christian for a long time, what tends to happen is that we stop asking questions. We start to take our relationship with God for granted, but not someone who's new in it. I regularly have people that come up and say, Donnie, this is what I'm reading. What does it mean? Can you help me understand what this says. I love that. I love that they're so excited about the Bible. For some of us that have been a Christian for a long time, we're, we're not as excited about the Bible anymore. It's become more of a textbook than a love letter for us. You see, we need to be around each other at different levels of faith so that we can challenge and encourage and speak into each other's lives. And here's the fourth thing. Small groups provide an opportunity for the world to see love in action. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we would know that God sent him. And he wanted us to know that, that God loves us as much as he loved Jesus. And in fact, Jesus said that our love for each other will prove to the world that we are his followers. He didn't say if you wear a Christian t-shirt around, that will prove that you're my followers. Or if you have a, a fish bumper sticker on the back of your car, Right? Depending on how you drive, that may prove that you're a follower of Jesus. It's not that those are bad things, but those aren't in the Bible. There's nothing about bumper stickers or Christian t-shirts. But what the Bible says is that the way we love one another, that's proof to the world that Jesus is real and that Jesus changes lives. And in the context of a small group, people get to see love in action. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So now you know the why. You know the benefits that come for you to, to be in a small group. Let me just close by showing you what this, what this small group looks like, what this love in action piece looks like in our community. In Acts chapter 2, we have a description of what the very first church looked like and how it lived out on mission. And I believe that this is what our small group should look like as well. 2.42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. See, we believe that there are five 
characteristics that every believer, that every small group who is growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ should have. And all five of them are in these few verses. The first is that we live obediently. That our small groups are designed to live out what you're hearing on the weekends. That what we discover when we study the Bible together in those small groups, what you're discovering in your personal quiet time, your personal Bible reading, that that is the place where we come together and we put those things into practice. We challenge and encourage each other to live those principles and truths out loud in our community. The second is that we connect intentionally. See, small groups, not large gatherings, are the place where real community happens where we have the opportunity to invest in the lives of others, where we can share heart to heart, that gut level kind of sharing, where we can be honest and and vulnerable, where we can share our hurts and our feelings, where we can confess our failures, where we can disclose our doubts, where we can admit our fears, but where we can hold each other up, where we can speak into each other's lives, where we can encourage each other, where we can take the greatest risk of being honest and vulnerable with others and watch it pay off in our lives. The third is that we serve selflessly. Small groups provide a great way for us to serve each other, to meet the needs of of the other people in your group. But it also gives us an opportunity to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given us together being the church to go out and make a difference in our neighborhoods and our communities. I love John Wesley's motto. He said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. What a great definition of greatness. Give generously. I love when I hear stories of small groups that are meeting the needs of others, providing meals during good and and, and tough seasons of life, mowing lawns, fixing homes, providing for other small groups. See, this is where we get to put into practice everything that we've learned, that everything that God has given to us is not ours, but it's, it's ours to use in the lives of others. And finally, we share willingly. See, the early church, it was on It was on a mission. It was on a mission to go and to reach its community with God. In Acts 2, we see that thousands came to Christ through the disciples sharing about Jesus. And it says that God graciously added to their number daily those who were being saved. Our small group should be a place where we share the journey together, where we share our struggles and our hurts and our dreams and our prayers. We share what God is doing in our lives. We share our story, and as a result, we share the story of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in the lives of others. Bottom line, no one one becomes great alone. We is always greater than me. Imagine what this would look like in your life. Imagine in in just a second, actually, at every campus, you're going to hear about how you can get connected to a small group. Can I just share my dream with you? Here's my dream. My dream is that 100% of us would be connected to a small group of people who know me well, who will hold me accountable, who will challenge me to grow, and will work with me to use the gifts that God has given me, given us, to impact our community. That's what I would love. Now, I know that not everybody's in a place right now where you can maybe be a part of that. So I'd settle for 80%. But 80% of us are living in that community together. Imagine you being connected with a group of people who know you, who are encouraging you, where you are growing together spiritually, 
and when you are putting this love into action in the lives of your community. That's the kind of church. That's the kind of church that God uses to change families. That's the kind of church that God uses to impact communities. That's the kind of church that God uses to reach the triangle and change the world. Will you bow with me as we pray? God, I just want to thank you. Thank you for Jesus. The only way that we can live a great life is through a relationship with him. So God, I I thank you. Jesus, I, I thank you that you loved us perfectly, that you loved us first. I didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve your love. But you gave up your life for mine. You proved the kind of love that you're calling us to live. And I thank you for that. Thank you that the same power that you used to rise from the dead is the same power that you used to forgive my sins and to give me a new way of life. And so God, I ask, will you give us that power together? Will you give us that power to love others in the same way that you loved us? And may our love for each other prove to this world that you're real and that you care and that a relationship with you is, is the greatest life that we could ever imagine. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.